Well, Mark Latham writes, Gladys Berejiklian's fatal mistake. It's not uncommon for people in the workplace to get together. However, in politics, you have to let people know about any potential conflict of interest with your public duty. If Gladys Berejiklian was upfront and honest about her secret relationship with Daryl Maguire, she would still be the Premier today, so says One Nation's Mark Latham. Morning to you, Mark. Good morning, Marcus. Good to be talking to you. I agree entirely with you. I, look, I had no problem whatsoever with uh, with the Premier's relationship with Daryl Maguire. I mean, that's her personal business. But the fact that it wasn't declared, and there seems to be more and more evidence being presented here in Sydney each day that it obviously wasn't, uh, then I'm sorry, I, I just I can't have any confidence in her. Well, that's right. I think Mike Baird was the real bell ringer here, he um, put it beyond doubt that she had a conflict of interest that needed to be declared. I mean, Mike Baird was very close to Gladys Berejiklian and the New South Wales Liberal Party. Technically, he was her boss as the Premier of the state. If she was to declare the relationship with Maguire when they're going through all these grants for Maguire's electorate, she would have declared it directly to Mike Baird, and he seemed quite flabbergasted that that hadn't happened, and he gave very damning evidence uh, at the ICAC. So, I know there's some people still out there defending the former Premier Berejiklian, but it's really indefensible when Mike Baird says that she did the wrong thing. So that part of the inquiry is clear-cut now. Um, It's not unusual for people to get romantically attached in the workplace. Uh, That happens, I suppose, you know, every other day. But in the case of a politician, you need to declare any potential conflict of interest and Mike Baird has ended that argument, I think, effectively at the ICAC. Yeah, he seemed to be quite devastated by it as well. He was ashen-faced and he said he was, quote, incredulous upon learning of this relationship. It was almost like it was, a, I don't know, a knife-to-his-heart kind of scenario. And obviously you would feel disappointed as the, as the Premier when somebody as important as your Treasurer isn't as upfront as possibly what they should be. Well, it was a big secret. And a secret kept from everyone. I've spoken to Liberals serving now in the state parliament who say, well, why weren't we told? And they believe Gladys Berejiklian most particularly when she led their party at the last state election had an obligation to tell her colleagues of this relationship because if it had come out, say, there'd been a leak from ICAC or Maguire told someone in the media, if it had come out in the closing weeks of the 2019 election campaign... There's a fair argument to say the Liberal Party would have been sunk and Michael Daly would be the Premier Possibly. of New South Wales today. So there's a lot of Liberals who look at that secrecy and think it was quite irresponsible by Gladys Berejiklian to keep a big secret for such a long time. So it's not just Mike Baird. Yeah. Uh, it's right across their parliamentary party. And, you know, look, people are entitled to, to, to privacy. Of but where it conflicts with your very clear public duty, and these are duties set out, uh, in a ministerial code of conduct, uh, the, the, the code of conduct that Mike Baird himself established, when you've got that responsibility, well, you've got a choice to say, um, I don't want to comply with the ministerial code, I've got a big secret. If that's your choice, you've got to leave politics yep. and, and live your life happily ever after with Daryl Maguire, if that's your option. But if you want to stay in politics and comply with the laws, you've got to declare the relationship. And if Gratis Verajiklin had done that, in 2015, uh, she'd still be the Premier of New South Wales today. Just before we get on to Eddie uh, Obeid and the hydrogen subsidy and net zero, I just want to play a little bit of audio. A Conservative commentator from the United States by the name of Candace Owens 
has called for the deployment of US troops on Australian soil. And it's not for, you know, peacekeeping purposes. Just have a little listen to this. I don't know whether you've heard her yet, Mark, but this is just broken this morning. For the last 20 years, the United States has spent trillions of dollars overseas in Afghanistan fighting a war, which we lost, by the way. We were told that the war was necessary anyway. It was necessary. The slaughtering of American sons and daughters on foreign soil because we were fighting a noble cause to spread democracy in a tyrannical land to free an oppressed people. So I'm going to ask those same lecturing politicians and media members a question now. When do we deploy troops to Australia? When do we invade Australia and free an oppressed people who are suffering under a totalitarian regime? When do we spend trillions of dollars to spread democracy in Australia? Australia currently, make no mistake, is a tyrannical police state. Its citizens are quite literally being imprisoned against their will. So when do we deploy? <laughs> Look, I don't know how popular Candace Owens is. She may very well be extremely popular, but surely uh, we should just file that away in the cuckoo bin. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, you kind of wish it was comedy, but I think she's serious as part of you know, right-wing politics in the United States where freedom is everything. Freedoms have been lost in Australia, no doubt about it. But the idea of deploying American troops to what overthrow the New South Wales and Victorian <laughs> governments uh, is a bit over the top. The world's got bigger problems than that. Yeah. Um, and in Victoria today, after the world's longest lockdown, I think they're dancing in the streets, aren't they? they they've are. got a bit of freedom. Um, yep. You know, there's no doubt these lockdowns went too long. And by their own criteria, when a, a two-week lockdown becomes a four-month lockdown, it's obviously failed. But, you know, Australia's thankfully moving past that now and, and hopefully would never go back to it. Yeah, I agree. Eddie O'Bede, um, he, well, senior, was supposed to spend a night in jail ahead of his new sentence, but he's going to appeal, uh, we hear. Um, he's apparently quite ill, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the gentleman should probably spend the rest of his life at his at Her Majesty's um, pleasure, somewhere in a jail somewhere. I don't know, but I mean, this thirty million odd dollars. Where's the money, Mark? Uh, this is what I don't understand. We have governments in this country that track down, you know, average tax-paying citizens for a settling debt, but uh, the Eddie O'Beads and all the rest of it that have been caught out corrupt uh, don't have to repay a cent. I don't get it. No, I don't get it either. There's a report that the tax office is going to look at them and tax the ill-gotten gains, but $30 million was, was only gained out of the corruption of public decision-making in New South Wales. So effectively, you can regard it as public money. It should be recovered. These people, when they're not in jail, live in mansions. So I think recovering the money would be in the public interest. And um, just coming back to ICAC, there's a lot of criticism of ICAC around. Some people want to close it down, but let's remember that the reason these three clowns have been found corrupt and are going to jail is that ICAC did its job. That's right. It hasn't been perfect in New South Wales, the Corruption Commission, but on balance, it's done the thing that it's supposed to do to stamp out corruption. And these people who basically destroy public trust in governance belong in jail, and ICAC has contributed to that. Mate, I get a lot of calls and emails in relation to the nuclear question. You say New South Wales needs nuclear power. Uh, in fact, during uh, the week at the Legislative Council, you introduced a bill that was debated to lift the ban on nuclear power and uranium mining. You welcomed the declaration of the new Premier 
Dominic Perrottet to look at this important opportunity for our state with fresh eyes, especially in light of the recent nuclear submarine decision. Well, I think that's the circuit breaker. Australia would be the only country in the world that had nuclear-powered submarines, but no nuclear industry of its own, which basically means for fitting out those subs, maintaining them, the workforce expertise to look after them, you're exporting jobs to the United States and the United Kingdom. Australia's got to have some form of nuclear industry to look after its national security and these nuclear-powered subs. So I think of it as like a Defence Department equivalent of Lucas Heights. Lucas Heights there on the outskirts of southern Sydney has been a great facility for nuclear medicine. That's permissible in New South Wales, but it's not permissible to have a Defence Department equivalent that would be providing jobs and expertise for our national security. So strip away the argument about nuclear-powered electricity. I'm in favour of that, but for the purposes here, you can put that to one side and say the ban on nuclear power in New South Wales should be lifted at a minimum to facilitate these um, defence capabilities. And at the end of the day, why should Adelaide get those jobs? Um, the, The subs won't be stationed in Adelaide if the threat is China. The subs need to be stationed, maintained and looked after on the east coast of Australia. And New South Wales should be part of that. All right. And uh, finally, the $3 billion of taxpayer money for what you call pie-in-the-sky technology. Of course, um, I obviously believe you're no fan of green hydrogen. It's a technology that's still purely speculative, not yet proven in a commercial market. And you think this use of taxpayer money, Mark, is reckless? Well, people work hard to pay their taxes to the state government. And last night in the Legislative Council, the Liberals, Nationals, Labor and Green all combined to say we're going to hand over $3 billion of that taxpayer's money for an unproven piece of technology, not yet commercially developed to any usable scale, uh, basically for Australia's wealthiest man, Twiggy Forrest. And I raised the point, well, if Twiggy Forrest, a billionaire with his vast resources, can't fund hydrogen without taxpayer subsidies, well, it's not much of an emerging industry, is it? True. I mean, you get to the point where you're throwing $3 billion, uh, a significant part of which at Australia's wealthiest man, you'd have to wonder what hope is there for that industry. And anyway, how would Matt Keane, a Hornsby accountant, know where energy technologies would be 10 years from now? Let the market work it out through commercial processes, which we've always done successfully. That's the best government policy. And this subsidy to the rich, which may end up a complete waste of money, just like carbon capture and storage and geothermal and wave power, huge amounts of government money lost in the past. Wouldn't they learn the lesson from that and put the $3 billion to better use? You'd think so. Good to have you on as always, Mark. Have a great weekend and we'll catch up again next week. Cheers. All the best.